What's spring like in Park City, Utah? Imagine waking up on a bluebird day to ski the greatest snow on earth at two world-class resorts, Park City Mountain and Deer Valley. Exploring miles of wide open spaces by snowshoe or cross-country skis. Wandering our historic Main Street with its Opry ski scene and award-winning restaurants. When you love it like we love it, Park City, Utah will always be winter's favorite town. Join the experience at visitparkcity.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey everybody, welcome to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. We've got another great show for you today. We're breaking down the White Sox farm system, and to do that, we are joined by Josh Norris. Josh has done the White Sox system for a few years now, so he's seen a lot of the guys he wrote up two, three years ago come up, and now we're moving on to the stage where the White Sox are contenders. They finished second in the American League Central this year. They were one of the most exciting teams in baseball their window appears wide open. We saw them build up and go acquire Lance Lynn already to bolster what should be a very, very talented starting rotation, as well as an offense that's one of the most fearsome in baseball. Josh, when you look at where the White Sox are now, top to bottom, who they have in the major leagues, who they have coming up in the farm system, how do you kind of assess them as an organization? Well, I'll, I'll just give you the three-word sentence I started my handbook intro with. They're almost there almost there they got they got you know half season of what they expect from robert and and of course frank another half season and these are really quarter seasons if we're honest or fifth seasons or whatever his 30 game sample is of you know the dynamic electric player he can be and then the league adjusted to him as you know as so often happens with um young players it's you know you start hot you get adjusted to, and now it's your turn to make the adjustment back. And in 60 games, that doesn't necessarily allow for the full cycle. But you got him, you got Tim Anderson repeating his uh, fantastic 2019. You got Lucas Giolito repeating his fantastic 2019. You had, you know, uh, Dallas Keuchel is his name coming. I was going to say Andrew Dahlquist, but that wasn't right. Dallas Keuchel, uh, you know, showing the, st- the same steadiness that he uh, has come to be expected. And now you're going to add Lance Lynn to that. That's going to be great. And you had the MVP. Uh, I forget, for, should, shouldn't leave out the MVP, Jose Abreu, in that whole mix. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it was a really good test of what to come. And they got a little bit of a boost from, obviously, uh, Garrett Crochet uh, coming in there in the middle of the year and showing that he don't need no minor leagues. Um, and, you know, Eli, Eloy Jimenez was Eloy Jimenez. It, it's a really promising time to be a White Sox fan. I think, and there's a little bit more to come at the top of the system that might, you know, uh, help push it over the top. Yeah, this really was a textbook rebuild. They made sure to keep an anchor in Jose Abreu. They had homegrown guys come up and make an impact, Tim Anderson being first and foremost among them. They acquired prospects and trades, brought them up, have seen them be incredibly successful. Eli Jimenez, Juan Moncada being the two main ones there. 
Of course, Luis Robert being signed as a standout Cuban was still a young guy, 22-year-old rookie, homegrown for all intents and purposes. Nick Madrigal was solid as well in his debut, albeit abbreviated by a shoulder injury. So again, you have the mix of guys who are already there that they kept, Abreu, the guys they brought up through their own system, start to finish, and they had guys that they acquired as prospects, brought them up through their system as well. The total package was really special. And then the final piece, of course, acquiring the veterans to kind of put them over the top, signed Yasmani Grandal, signed Dallas Keuchel. Some of the other ones didn't work out as well. Edwin Encarnacion, Nomar Mazzara. But for the most part, on the whole, it was just a really impressive process for the Chicago White Sox. And we saw the results. And now they're in a really good place moving forward. Josh, there's still some talent in this system. Again, they've graduated a tremendous amount of talent over the last two years, especially, but even really you can go back three years. Andrew Vaughn is the number one prospect in this system now after assorted graduations. In your discussions with evaluators, both inside and outside the organization, how much of a debate was there between Vaughn and, and some other guys who do have major league time already, like a Kopech or even like a Madrigal, who's still prospect eligible for us? I mean, it's, it's, it's all very, very close, I would say. I mean, if you told me Kopech had the best future of those three guys, uh, you know, 10 years from now or five years from now, whatever you want to call it, I wouldn't be totally surprised. But Andrew Vaughn has the least amount of uh, variables kind of there. I mean, Kopech has some injuries with him. He's got the... Uh, uh, the opt-out that we don't know if he's going to you know, come back um, exactly the way he was. He also had he was, you know, two years for certain from Tommy John, although to be fair, he looked really good in spring training. Uh, Madrigal has the shoulder surgery and, you know, he wasn't going to have much offensive impact, you know, power wise to begin with, but you know, that might diminish it even further. That's a pretty scary looking injury, but Andrew Vaughn has a pretty solid combination of hitability and power. And it's just going to be, I imagine a matter of time before he gets there and replaces um, Abreu at first base. Um, you know, there's a little, he didn't look, you know, like a super stud in his 2019 season after coming off uh, three years at Cal, but the exit velos were there and the White Sox were kind of heartened by what they saw from him. This year was going to be really interesting. I expected him to start probably at double A in, in, in theory of 2020, had that a minor league season and get to triple A where, uh, he would match because they had the triple-A ball and uh, they play in Charlotte. So, you know, there's – you could probably hit 30 home runs there in a half season. Yeah, Andrew Vaughn's a really, really impressive hitter. I got to see him a little bit play for Team USA on the Premier 12 Olympic qualifying team. And, you know, this, the prototypical different sound off the bat. I mean, it's really, really impressive. And, again, it's it's kind of like – line drives he powers out because he's just so strong it's not like these big towering home runs there's actually a lot of hit ability there and I remember talking to some scouts when he was at Cal and we were talking about what kind of hitter Adley Rutschman projected to be what kind of hitter Andrew Vaughn projected to be and I remember a cross checker telling me that he thought Adley Rutschman was going to be 270 with 35 to 40 bombs and he thought Andrew Vaughn was going to be more 300 310 25 to 30 home runs. Again, both fantastic offensive performances, but just different types. And I, I do think it's important to note that Vaughn is not some, you know, big mashing swing and miss donkey. There's a real chance this guy's going to hit 280, 290, 300 with that 20, 25, 30 home run power. I will say that 
there have been um, a couple of evaluators who have noted a weakness against sliders for Andrew Vaughn. Now, uh, one said he saw him strike out five times on sliders at Instructs, which it wasn't a big sample size since uh, Instructs wasn't that long. Um, but that's a question mark that we'll have to see going forward. And, you know, there's, there's been a lot of players who are projected to be really good hitters who have found out that the minor leagues is hard and baseball is hard. And as I mentioned on other podcasts, pitchers are wizards. That is very, very true. You can project all you want, but until you see a guy in the box against an upper 80 slider that drops off the face of the earth at the last minute, I, you just don't know. So at the same time, you understand the promise. We'll see what adjustments Andrew Vaughn makes moving forward. Michael Kopech, you mentioned earlier, he had Tommy John surgery and then opted out for the 2020 season, which was supposed to be the season he returned. I feel like his development is going to be especially critical to the White Sox success moving forward because we've seen Lucas Giolito blossom into the frontline starter. He's become Dallas Keuchel again, very, very, very good veteran, posted a sub two ERA. Again, it's only 11 starts, but really can't ask for anything more in terms of performance for what he gave them. Dylan Cease took a very promising step forward this year. There's still some things to work on, namely the control, but on the whole, moving in the right direction. They added Lance Lynn. That's a pretty good top four you can definitely do some damage with. Finding that fifth starter, we've seen Ronaldo Lopez really struggle. Dane Dunning was traded to Texas in the Lynn deal. I feel like if Michael Kopech can come in and be, whether it's the number four behind Giolito, Keiko, and Lynn, or if even if he has to settle into the number five spot just because it takes a while for him to shake off whatever rust he might be dealing with, I feel like either way, if he can come in and round out this rotation – in any form. Maybe he comes out and he's the stud people expect him to be and he can be the two or three. But it just feels like his development is going to be critical for the White Sox fortunes in 2021 based on the way their roster is currently constructed as of this podcast. What's really interesting is you didn't mention their other acquisition, Ethan Katz. Um, they made some changes this offseason. Um, you know, they got rid of uh, Rick Renteria. Uh, for uh, Tony La Russa, and then they brought in Ethan Katz, who was the Giants' assistant pitching coach, I believe. I know he'd been their minor league pitching coordinator. I believe he was a pitching coach at Harvard-Westlake uh, at one point. But, you know, it's, you're going to get a, a new way of teaching things, and we'll see if he can have the same success that Don Cooper and pals had on Giolito and Cease on Kopech and cease if you're if that makes sense it's there they might have new, new ways of teaching things that uh translate a little differently so i'm i'm curious to see what the um what the end result of the ethan katz as big league pigeon coach has on michael kopak yeah i had first heard ethan katz's name back in 2016 when he was in the mariner system uh he was a minor league pitching coach for them and his name popped up as someone who worked really, really well with young pitchers with a lot of velocity that were trying to figure out how to throw strikes. And that has definitely been something that you could say about Michael Kopech and Dylan Cease over the years. And for that matter, Ronaldo Lopez. So there's no question. He is someone that is very highly thought of in the game. And yeah, 
sometimes the best acquisition is, is the new coach, uh, whether that's a new manager, a new pitching coach, a new hitting coach. They, those guys can make such a difference. Never underestimate the power and impact of good coaching. So we'll see what he can do. But you're right. That's a very, very fair point. I know we're all going to be curious to see what Michael Kopech looks like coming back and also what kind of influence Ethan Katz and the rest of the White Sox new coaching staff has. Josh, these top three were pretty clearly the top three. Dane Dunning was number four. He got traded to Texas. Garrett Crochet is next on this list, and 2020 draftee came up and was lights out in the majors. However, he left his postseason appearance, game three of the AL wildcard series, with an apparent arm injury. We have to see the long-term effects of that. Health and durability were a concern about him at Tennessee. What do we make of Garrett Crochet moving forward? Well, it's it's very similar. Um, um, it's very similar to, to what you saw. He could be that lights out nasty reliever at the end of a of a game, which he was until he strained his forearm. There was always concern about injury risk and command, um, all those things, but. You know, that's the, the floor is what you saw in the big leagues this year, I think. I, it's, it's very weird talking about a guy like that and having the top end be Randy Johnson, Chris Sale, and the bottom end be Josh Hader and Andrew Miller. I mean, this guy has a chance to be really, really, really special. I adore Garrett Crochet. Um, I couldn't but, tell with those comps. <laughs> I mean, I didn't, they're not mine. They're from other people. Um, I don't do comps. It, he is what we thought he was, really. If, if, if you tell me that he's that guy at the end of a bullpen, then, yeah, that was worth that pick, I think. And if he's even more than that, well, then he's, he looks really smart. I know a pro department who had, during the shutdown, a lot of pro scouts were uh, lacking things to do. So... Some orgs had their pro guys take a look at the amateur reports and video and line them up and do their own mock draft. And Crochet was the first pitcher off the board in theirs. And you know, this guy could not stop raving to me about how much he loved the video and the reports and was wondering why he wasn't higher on everybody else's. And then he goes straight to the majors and I text him like, yeah, you might've been right. <laughs> but it's, it's fun too to hear about how the White Sox optimized his fastball at the alternate training site and they, few tweaks here or there that made him even nastier but I mean even I've really never seen him myself outside of the, the video from the big leagues except for video from the collegiate national team I remember what I do for the collegiate national team is I will because it's usually in the teeth of midseason handbook time or midseason prospect list I will go set up my cameras set up my traps and then leave and I will have turn them all on and wait and we'll get as much of the game as it possibly can and then I will have the interns, our crop of interns, bring them back to me at the office the next day. And I will comb through the video and I will cut it up. And he popped. So like looking at him, is like, excuse me, what? This is, this is ridiculous. I'm just going to keep watching him and Max Meyer back and forth. Like I could watch this for days. They were that good. <laughs> I remember I kept watching Meyer's slider and just going, this is the nastiest thing I've seen in some time. This reminds me of what, like, this is a bad omen, but, like, what Jabba Chamberlain's slider was when he first came up um, <laughs> before he got, he got Jabba rules. Um, but anyway, 
uh, that's a long way to say I really like Garrett Crochet. Yeah, as you said, it's it's a very, very special arm. And I think now we just have to see the health. You know, you go back and look at his performances at Tennessee for all the electric stuff he had. He had an ERA north of five in his freshman year. You know, sophomore year it was an ERA north of four. He was bouncing back and forth between starting and relieving. There were some control and command issues. And again, he just didn't really get to pitch much this year. He made only one appearance, uh, three and a third innings. And it was a dominant three and a third inning appearance, but it was one appearance. There were some injury concerns. So it's just going to be interesting to see what he becomes moving forward because you're right. I think there's no question that this is someone who can impact a major league team. It's just about what role is it going to be. And health is a huge component of that realistically, I mean, is the reason he's number four on this list with comps like that, as opposed to number one, simply because we don't know what the health situation is going to look like? Mm-hmm. If, if he doesn't strain his forearm in that last game, it's probably number three. You know, that's, that's probably, that's pretty much it. You know? um, we don't know. Well, we also don't know when the, and it's not really his fault. We don't know when the next season is going to begin. It's definitely not his fault. We don't know when the next season is going to begin or what it's going to look like, or what minor league options are going to be available to him. So we'll see the next time he gets back on the mound, but hopefully he's healthy. And uh, I think he would be a, we throw the word weapon around a lot. And I think he would be a, a weapon no matter where they deployed him in Chicago. Jared Kelly was someone that a lot of people felt was a potential first round pick in the draft this year. He fell to the second round. White Sox gave him first round money as a signing bonus and he really did some impressive things in the instructional league. I had pro scouting directors. I had pro scouts. You know, multiple, multiple times his name came up as, hey, this guy looked really, really, really good. What are the early reports on Jared Kelly, and what can White Sox fans expect here? And what made him number five behind this group of top four? There's a little more variability to him just because he's in high school arm. And you'll see um, – the next three on that list are all high school right-handers. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, two of the next three are high school right-handers. Three of the next four are high school right-handers. And Kelly, you know, he has the potential for three pluses. Um, that's really, it's really as simple as that. Um, the other two have pretty good stuff as well. Not quite that good. Uh, there's a little more variability with Kelly with the breaking ball than there is with the changeup. But, you know, I, talk, I think I talked to the same guys as you did, or some of them, um, and they really, really liked him. So he's going to be up there, and I think if you – and we can say this now since the 120 is out. If you are going to watch uh, Kanapolis next year, you are going to see probably a really fun rotation that starts with uh, Kelly, Matthew Thompson, and Andrew Dahlquist. So that's going to be three of your top ten prospects, spoiler alert. Although this is out on the web, I've already had the chat. No spoiler alert. Um, at, at playing for the Cannonballers. It should be a really fun time to go to that brand new ballpark in, uh, in North Carolina, which is fortunate because we are in, well, I am in North Carolina. Yeah, there's no question that could be a very talented rotation. Josh, this top five, Vaughn, Kopech, Madrigal, Crochet, Kelly, all very, very, very highly regarded prospects. It feels like there's a pretty big drop-off from this group to the next group. Um, From the outside looking in, it seems like this is very clearly the top five, again, Dunning now having been traded. Is that hard delineation? Are we seeing that correctly from the outside? I don't think it's quite there. There is a steep drop-off. 
I would say it drops off right after Dahlquist at eight. Dahlquist has a pretty good ceiling too, and he's made some strides in the strength department. Matt Thompson is an extraordinarily athletic pitcher. And, you know, one of those things that I think we, we, because you can't, well, we don't grade it on the card, uh, is athleticism in pitchers. And he has it in spades. I think that's one thing to help him going forward. He also showed up in uh, better shape this year. Uh, to once he got back from the shutdown, he looked better than he did when he did when he got there in regular spring training in the before times. Um, but after him, you know, you're looking at Luis Gonzalez, who could be a second division regular, maybe a fourth outfielder type. Um, after that, Gavin Sheets is is in the mix for number ten. He showed up with uh, greatly also also in better shape and started working in the outfield more instead of just first base. So that opens up a lot of doors for him because. At first base at, at, in Chicago was blocked by Abreu and then Vaughn. So he was kind of stuck. And the power started to show in 2019, low these 20 years ago in 2019, um, when he hit a bunch of bombs at um, Birmingham. So if he's got the power back and he can play a corner now, well, there's a whole new world of possibilities for Gavin Sheets. And it's frankly the possibilities they thought they had when they drafted him a few years ago. Um, after that, you've got like Cody Hoyer, who jumped into the mix. We're still waiting on Blake Rutherford to develop that big-time power that you need to play at the corner position, which is where he's going to play. Uh, you got a wild card in Jimmy Lambert, who made a one, one or two appearance cameo in the big leagues and got hurt again. Uh, my favorite genre, the high upside um, Latin ball player, uh, Brian Ramos, coming in later there. He made some big strides in um, – instructional league and open some evaluators eyes so he could be a guy next year depending on where they assign him who is uh who jumps into the top 10 as well there's there's some guys at the top but there is the line of delineation around seven i think okay so yeah the, those top seven or eight then it sounds like there's another seven or eight guys honestly eight, in the yeah. next to fill those last two spots yeah i mean it doesn't it doesn't drop off a cliff but it goes down a hill one other player who we didn't hit on is Jake Berger. He has had a very, very rough go of things since the White Sox made him their first round pick in 2017. Achilles injury, followed by other lower body injuries. Uh, He has not played in years at this point. He did get back to playing in a pop-up independent league this summer and then went to the alternate site. What is Jake Berger's status and what realistically can the White Sox hope to get out of him at this point? It was really encouraging to hear his reports from the uh, uh, the instructional league. He still can hit. He still can swing it. Um, there's enough, you know, juice in there to project him to be able to play a corner. It's probably going to be first at this point. You know, he, he had you know you mentioned the Achilles. He had he had tore it and then he retore it, and then he had a bruised heel that led to more missed time. And yeah, the last time. You know, he played the next time he played was the car care, car share league, or whatever it was, where the normal corn belters in, in the Midwest this year. But he's he got they protected him on the 40 man, so they must like something about him and they must believe what the other outside scouts are seeing, which is that he still can hit. And that's um, he's he's be, uh, has a better chance to hit than some of the other prospects in the system who haven't been through the same injury madness as he has. 
Um, so he's, he's parked in a spot where I, if you had told me he would have been there at, at the beginning of the 2020 season, I would have been stunned. But that's where he is at this point. Yeah, again, this is a guy that I think it's easy to root for. He was drafted in 2017 and has not played since then. Missed all of 18, all of 19, tearing an Achilles, re-tearing his Achilles, then having a heel issue. Missed 2020 due to the coronavirus pandemic. So by the time he gets back on the field in 2021, it will have been four years since he's played an official game. But obviously there were some promising things shown at the alternate site during instructional league. And again, just from a pure humanity story. I think we can all hope that he's able to come back and stay healthy and eventually make it to the major leagues. Cause again, this was a very, very highly regarded player out of Missouri state. He was the 11th overall pick in his draft. A lot of people believed in the power and the ability. And we all hope that young talented professionals get the opportunity to showcase what they can do best and not have their career sidetracked by injury. So I know that's going to be one of the more intriguing storylines in terms of the White Sox farm system in 2021, how Jake Berger's doing, what he looks like, and if everything comes back the way it was before the injuries. Josh, any final thoughts on this group as a whole? Um, it, it's an intriguing group, but just like pretty much every other system in the game, there were a lot of guys who really, really could have benefited from a minor league season. And it's such a shame what's happened. And it's, well, it's certainly nobody in baseball's fault that there was no minor league season. I, I know there's a lot of people who rail at the uh, leadership in baseball, but I'm going to go ahead and not fault them for coronavirus. But guys like Cabrera Weaver and DJ Gladney and Bryce Bush and James Beard uh, they all could have used a big league season. Um, same, same game goes for Yolbert Sanchez and Benjamin Bailey and Jose Rodriguez. All these things, all these guys had questions that they needed to answer and could have either answered them or not answered them in 2020 with a minor league season. Um, it really stinks because it puts them behind the eight ball even further and you know, now there's not going to be, there's not going to be a great falls for them to go to. Um, it's AZL or Kannapolis or bust for a lot of these, or DSL, I guess, for a lot of these guys. But, you know, it's, it's, it's very interesting. It's going to be very interesting to see what happens to a lot of those, you know, upside guys with questions. And they're in, they're in every system, but we're talking about White Sox. So I will again mention Bryce Bush, James Beard, Cabrera Weaver, uh, Benjamin Bailey, all these guys, we hope they aren't, their development isn't stunted for the, the, the lack of a minor league season. Yeah, there's no question. Again, that's going to be the main story to watch in the minor leagues in 2021 is just how many of these guys were hurt by the shutdown and what effects it has on their careers. And obviously we hope for everyone that they're able to get back on track with no issues. But we also know this was a very, very difficult year for a lot of people beyond the realm of baseball, obviously, but just in terms of the minor leaguers, it was a very difficult year for a lot of these young kids. So we'll see how they're able to bounce back in 2021. Uh, but the White Sox as a whole, as we've discussed, they are in a great, great place. They are firmly in the midst of their window of contention. They have a very, very, very good group of position players that they primarily grew through their system, whether they were originally drafted and signed by the White Sox or they were acquired as minor leaguers in trades. 
put together a very, very stout starting rotation potentially. We've seen some good, young, homegrown arms help out in the bullpen, Matt Foster and Cody Hoyer among them. So we'll see what 2021 holds, but uh, it's been a lean couple of years on the south side, but this was an exciting surge in 2020 and should continue to hold into 2021. Josh, thank you so much for your insight. We appreciate it as always. All right. See you on the uh, Giants podcast. Absolutely. Well, once again, everyone, this has been another edition of the Baseball America podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We would love to hear from you. For Josh Norris, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.